One of the allegations made toward Christians is that our head is often so far in the clouds, so often that we're of very little use on practical needs in the present culture. On the opposite side of that pendulum, many, in perhaps some response to that, have given up the proclamation, the sharing of the gospel message, and given their lives wholly to that of social work, meeting needs, but, but not eternal spiritual needs. As we look at Second Peter, these last few verses of this incredible letter, we're reminded, we're commanded that as believers, our hope is in heaven, that the Christ will return. We will be found by Him in His coming. But our lives are to be marked in such a way that as our elder Ralph Busby prayed just a moment ago, our lives would be reflective of the works that the Spirit of God has deployed for us to do through our daily lives, through our relationships, the good works He's prepared to advance for us, to, to walk in, that our lives should, should live in such a way that reflect the hope that is ours, that is coming. Now, as we look at the final verses, the question becomes, how, will, how do we desire to be? How does, or more particularly, how does God's Word desire for us to be as His people, the beloved of God, those that have repented of sin and placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? the one who had our sins nailed to his body on the tree, who defeated death and was buried, who raised again, who ministered, who ascended to heaven, who intercedes for us, and who will come again one day. We will be found by him. How do we desire to be found by him? Well, these words, these final verses of this letter, Peter gives for us four insights, four ways that we individually as believers ought to pray, God, I want to be found in this way. I want to be found in this way. And as a church then, as you think about it, corporately, as each of us are praying, God, I want to be found with this quality. I want to be found practicing this component faithfully. That as a church then, corporately, we can say, we desire these things. So let's begin this morning as we unpack this central idea that when Jesus returns, let him find us. What a, what a request. Let him find us diligently practicing for eternity. Let him find us diligently practicing for eternity. Now, the word diligent, uh, I'm going to unpack one of the greatest, most challenging books you'll read. Uh, this is right up there in my alley. This is called Get Wisdom by Ruth Younce. If you are a parent or a grandparent of elementary age kids, I, I can't recommend this book highly enough. This sits on our dinner table. We read at least one of these, and, and I'm challenged by it as well as an adult. And one of the things I want to do for us, I want to read one of these challenges for us. And so even if you have a preschooler, this is a benefit to you to be able to, uh, to listen to. But I want to listen to her definition of diligence. It's biblical. It's excellent. All of these have a little image. I'm not getting paid some under the table to promote this book. But there's beautiful components to this. So she gives a challenge, a definition of a word. And this one we're going to read is diligence, boys and girls. Uh, and then she gives a scripture verse. And then she has many activities that older kids can do. But then it also has a prayer that reflects this. So her definition of diligence is excellent, and it fits right along with what we're talking about today. And Peter's charged the church to be diligent. He picks up on that word he said earlier. So this is how she defines it. She says, diligence is working without getting distracted or stopping before I'm supposed to. And there's a picture of an ant, and she quotes Proverbs 6, 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. And listen to the prayer that she prays reflecting on diligence. She prays, Lord, thank you that Jesus was always diligent and finished his work of saving sinners. It's so easy for me to forget to finish my work. 
Sometimes I just don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do, and, and I do other things instead. Please help me to be diligent and faithful like Jesus was. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter uses this word diligent. The ESV translates it in a couple different ways. But I want you to go back to chapter 1. Look back at 2 Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles. Because we need to read the three different ways that he uses the word diligence. So as good Bible students, especially as we come to these epistles, these letters in the New Testament, as good Bible students, our tendency can be to, we finish the meat of the book, and now we're at the conclusion, let's just skim through it and finish it. Or we're at the introduction, we don't need to spend much time on the introduction. We'd be making a huge mistake as Bible interpreters. For the conclusion is often some of the most meaty components that tie together the threads that he's given and started all through the letter. So look back at chapter 1. We're going to read three of these words. This translated here in different ways, but diligent is the same idea of the word. So the context allows some variation of how that word is given with its range. But let me read for us first in First Peter, or Second Peter, I should say, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Here's that diligent word. As we, as we talk about the desire to say, our first component, verse 14, I want to be found reflecting Him. I want to be diligent. He says, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. Listen to how Peter has previously, in chapter 1, used the word translated diligent or make every effort. He told us in verse 1, for this very reason, this is the verse, the couple of verses we committed to try to memorize, make every effort, be diligent to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Now look down to verse 10. So that idea of being diligent, making every effort, not just being distracted, as, as Mrs. Yunt said, not being distracted and not quitting before we're supposed to. Make every effort. Down in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then look down to verse 15. He uses it again. And I will make every effort. I will be diligent. So that after my departure, after he dies, you may be able, beloved, at any time to recall these things. How does he conclude the letter? What's the first component that we want to be found by Jesus in his returning? We want to be found reflecting him. Peter tells us in verse 14, we want to be found without spot and without blemish. And relationally, what's our relationships? At peace. Without spot and without blemish and at peace. So let's unpack this for a moment because we could get lost. If this is your first Sunday with us, we are glad you're here. I want to make sure I, I, don't, I don't confuse you because if you, if you missed the previous components. As believers in Christ, we have been declared holy and righteous. We are positionally without blemish or spot for the sinless Lamb of God has covered us. That's a position that as believers that we've come to faith in Christ, we, that cannot be lost. The Holy Spirit, He indwells us as a, as a sealing, this good deposit for the hope that is ours in Christ. So that, this is who we are. We are without spot and blemish. But progressively or pragmatically, as believers, as He leaves us and deploys us in the world to be and make disciples, we, the Spirit works in us to progress, and we're diligent to progress, to add to our knowledge, faith, and virtue, and all these things, in love, that we would grow in Christ-likeness. So our lives increasingly become lives that reflect Christ without spot or blemish. Now what Peter is also doing here is he's giving a contrast 
in chapter 2. Look to chapter 2 in, your, in, your, in 2 Peter. Chapter 2, verse 13. Peter has to be doing this on purpose. I don't think there's any way he's, this is just a coincidence. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. This is really cool. So in chapter 2, verse 13, what Peter has done, remember in chapter 2, he's given us a reflection of the unbelievers. He's given us a description of false teachers and many of their tactics. But he gives us a description of who they are. Look at this. He tells us here, <clears throat> suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They counted pleasure to revel in the daytime. So they're shameless. And now look at how the description is. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So what's the description of the unbelievers, the false teachers? They are blots and blemishes. How is the bride of Christ? How are those that trust in Christ to be living for when Christ returns without blot or blemish. See the contrast? And what was the final word of verse 14? Look at that. Look at the final word of verse 14 in chapter 3. How are our relationships characterized? Not only with, the, but, but not with, with those around us, the congregation. How is our relationships described? We are to be at peace. At peace with each other. Why are we at peace? Because we're on mission together to be and make disciples for the glory of God. We're holding fast to the Word of God. So we're at peace with each other, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, resting in the salvation, the hope that we have in Him. We're at peace, but look at the description they gave of the unbelievers. They are blots and blemishes, these false teachers, reveling in their deceptions. Those that don't know Christ revel in their deceptions. They have no permanent anchoring in the God who created them and sustains them. They make their own truths as though that could happen. And therein they deceive one another, taking advantage of each other. But Peter says, not among you, beloved. You are called to reflect Christ. Why? Because we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We're His. We have the way of life. We've tasted and seen the way of death and the way of the flesh and the counterfeit that it is. But now we've tasted and seen the way of Christ, the way of life. And therein we're at peace with one another because we've been reconciled to God. We have peace with God and therein we're called to be peacemakers in the context of the earth. But not some superficial peace that says, let's just get along. But it's a peace that only comes through Christ who gives us peace with the Lord and therein peace with one another. This is good news for us. Peace with God, not a ceasefire. Do you know that? In our church body, many come to Grace Bible with many different church backgrounds. I kind of I found this amusing when I came here. I, did, I never realized that. If some will look and say maybe, that maybe one has a Roman Catholic background and one has a, maybe an agnostic background or a Baptist background, whatever it is, a Methodist background, and they look and say, okay, well, let's not go to your church. Let's not go to this church. This church... Okay, I agree with grace, and I like the Bible. Let's go to church. And they come to grace. It's pretty amazing. And they'll come with different backgrounds, but it's amazing the number of people I've been able to engage with here, a part of our body, that, that some come and they have a thought of peace with God like a ceasefire. From the background that they grew up in, in their religion, they, they view God as though, okay, I'm good with Him as long as I please Him. He won't be angry with me. But if I mess up, He's going to love me less. That's not the biblical view of peace. 
you have a peace with God that is secured because it's not resting in your works, it's resting in Christ's finished work, beloved. And so rest in Him. Grow in the grace and knowledge in Christ. Enjoy the pleasure of reflecting Him as He's deployed you here on the earth. Amen? So, I know it's daylight savings time. I know it's been an hour back, so we got some some, uh, congregational participation today. So, I want to say verse 14 together, this application of this first step. So, I'm going to say it here. I want to be found reflecting Him. And after I say it, you're going to say it. So, back and forth, because individually, as I'm saying this, and we're all saying this, the I becomes a we. We're saying this. What a good commitment to make before we're found by the Lord in His return, or our final breath we take, whenever that may be. So, I want to be found reflecting Him. Ooh, that that feels good. Good way to start the day. Let's go on to number two. How else do you want to be found when the Lord comes? This is how I want to be found, verse 15 from the text. How do we say we want to be found? I want to be found reaching people for Him. I want to be found reaching people for Christ. He says in verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, do you remember what we saw last week? One of the beauties, it is a joy. That was one of our prayer requests as we were looking for a church several years ago. Three years ago. It was three years ago this weekend, actually, we first visited this beautiful town in Nacogdoches. And so Sarah and I had all these kind of memories going. But one of the things that we had prayed for through 2017 was that the Lord would bring us to a church that desired to walk through books of the Bible. And it is a privilege to do so, isn't it? Because we, we have to honor the Scripture. We have to see it in its context. We have to deal with every single issue as it comes up as the Scriptures lead us. But it's one of the things that can be difficult is we can make a mistake like this where I could, I could cause us to forget maybe verse 9 that we looked at last week. That's why when we start books, we try to read the whole book together. So next week, we're going to start Jonah, and we'll look at the very first part of that, but we'll also read through that book together in our service. But in verse 9, if you remember last week, false teachers came in, and they looked at the fact that Jesus had not yet come back. Judgment had not yet come back upon the, the, the world and the nations. And they looked at the patience of God, and they argued, look, God doesn't care how we live. We can do these things, these these passions of sensuality, as he said, and God doesn't really care because he's not come back since the patriarchs. And they used it to accuse God of either not caring or being apathetic towards sin. And now, Peter here, in these later couple sentences, is now saying, no, 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 no. The patience of the Lord, we know, is as salvation for those to come to faith in Christ. And as believers, the fact that the Lord still has us here, one of the tasks that we will not be doing in heaven is evangelism. You know that? Think about that. There's a few things in the new heavens, new earth we won't be doing that we do here, but one of those that is a key healthy mark of a disciple is we will not be evangelizing in heaven. The baptismal waters will not be stirred in heaven. It's a charge that God has given us here upon the earth. To be faithful, if I'm to summarize these first two desires we have, we see from the first, first component of, of desiring to reflect Jesus that we're walking with Him. This second component is that we're speaking like Him. We're speaking the way of life. We're speaking as Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Repent, turn and trust in Christ. So this news that we have comes out through our lips as disciples, as followers of Jesus. So to those that have not yet come to Christ, if you're here this morning and you've never turned from sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do so today. Come to know Jesus. Come to place your sin and your hopes and your desires. Place them upon Jesus Christ and His righteous, holy life He lived will be given to your ledger. You're forgiven and adopted, a servant of the Lord. 
an heir in Christ, a friend of God, from sinner to saint because of what He's done upon the cross. Give your life to Christ. At the end of the service, we'll be here to pray with you and encourage you and celebrate with you. You can write it on a Connect card. You can write it on the wall. I mean, do, do whatever you need to to get this word to us that you've given your life to Christ because we want to disciple you and help you walk in Christ. And the Holy Spirit, who's, who's given you a gift, we want to help deploy that for ministry. So if you've never turned and trust Christ, give your life to Christ today. Ask God forgiveness for your sins and surrender your life to Him. That's the good news we have in Christ. We're called to be a people who speak of Christ and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, as at Grace, we, we talk about word worship service family. That is, disciples, as followers of Jesus, we're a people that are devoted to the Word of God. We gather in groups and we apply the Word together to our lives, living corporately repentant lives. We gather together for corporate worship. This gathering we have on Sunday morning, for every one of us, it prioritizes our weekly schedule and sets us right in the way of the Lord. But then we have a component of service down here. We think of service, listen, in two ways. That we believe every believer should be serving in the context of the life of the church. Find somewhere to serve. If there's not somewhere to serve, let us help take your giftings and build one for you to be able to serve. But also, secondly, that you would live a life of service, service that would involve through your daily life are your lips. That you would be confident and competent to share the good news that you have in Jesus Christ. Christ crucified for sinners, our hope of glory. You would be confident and competent to tell others about Jesus. Now, there's lots of different ways to do so. I want to give you two tools very quickly. One of those is our Jesus Reconsidered study. It's a four-week study. Many of you went to that training that we had in here just a few months ago. Now, that, that was recorded, and, and we still have those handouts. This is a four-week study that you could get together with a, a, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. I, if I've done that with my co-workers. I've led them all to Christ. This is great news. That was a joke. I work at the church. They're already believers. Okay. There you go. But this is a four-week study. You can get together with somebody, and there's a participant guide and a leader guide. And if you don't have one of those, you can watch that material. We're going to post that on the week-to-week week week email that Stephen referenced, Pastor Stephen referenced. And you'll be able to walk through those trainings and just be able to ask them, hey, would you be willing to go through this study with me? It's a very intentional, very well-written, very clear explanation of who Christ is. A second tool that we want to make sure you're aware of, and if you don't have those, again, you email Roman, that will make his day to be able to give you those materials. A second material is your bulletin. Do you have a bulletin in your hand? Grab your bulletin. You can hold that up right now if you got that bulletin. I usually don't. Today's a high participation day, okay? It's daylight savings time. I've had way too much coffee today. It's dangerous. But you got that bulletin. Open up that bulletin to the worship section and you're before you. That worship section is arranged intentionally to be a gospel tract for you. That our desire is that not only is God, man, Christ's response, I think an excellent liturgy, an excellent order of service to be able to walk through, but it's also a great way that if you invite a friend, if a middle school boy invites a friend with him, he has a tool that they've sat through to be able to explain the gospel in a nutshell. They can look and open that up and say, what did we do at the beginning of the service? Pastor Stephen gave this intentional transition of announcement to a call to worship. And our eyes through that song fixed to a holy God who loves us and created us, who's all-powerful and all-knowing and good and faithful, and He's holy. 
And as we look to the holy God, just as it would be if we got really close to an incredible fire, we would become aware by default of our own mortality that we can't be in that or we'll burn up. When we look to the holy God, all of us realize that we come short of the glory of God. All of us realize that we are sinners. Not kind of sinners, we're dead in our sin. It'd be like saying something's kind of poison, but enjoy. We're unable, we're dead in sin. And so we look to God and then we become very aware of our brokenness and our sinfulness and our rebellion against God as we look to man. And if our services stopped at God-man, this would be the most upsetting and depressing church you'll ever visit in your life. You'd come in every morning and be really, hey, it's great to be here. And then you'd walk out just totally devastated every Sunday. But we don't stop there, do we? That God, the promise-keeping God who's faithful, He is faithful to, to send Christ. The promise that He gave to Eve, one would come and crush the head of the serpent. Fulfilling all the promises of God, He always keeps His promises. And God who is faithful sent Christ, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus lived a life we cannot live, nor do we desire to live. And He laid His life down, satisfying the the holiness and the wrath of God upon sinners. That all who will believe in Him have eternal life, an abundant life today, the way of life in our relationships and our hope for eternity, beginning this day. As Jesus defeated death, was raised again. He ascended to heaven and He will come again one day in judgment, a day that's been set out from the foundations of the world, when the living and the dead will be raised up and given account to God. God, man, Christ, that all who will turn and trust in Him, regardless of what they've done or who they are, can have everlasting life. God, man, Christ. And what's the fourth word? Response. What do you do with that news? You see, we can't just hear that and say, that's a good story. I like that story. The gospel demands, what do I do with what Christ has done and who the Scriptures say that He is? What is my response to this? The response is to repent and come to Christ, that you may live. That's the response. So when the Lord comes back, let Him find us with a greater affection for Him, longing out of love for others that they would come to know the hope and the reason for life and the giver and sustainer of life, Jesus. Isn't that good news? So would you commit in this way with me as well to pray, God, would you give me a fresher eyes for the relationships you've given me? It's spring cleaning time almost, maybe already. Some of you have looked around your house and you've seen, maybe you've got some closets that have been filling. You've got areas that have just collected things. It's time to go through some drawers that have just collected papers. Spring cleaning time. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to give us fresh eyes in our relationships. Give us fresh eyes where we live with our classmates and our responsibilities. Let us see their need for Christ. Because if you're like me in your own home, you can have something, a little crack in the mirror or a little chip of paint that you don't even see it anymore after enough time. But somebody comes over and you know it, you go to somebody's house, you see it right away. We want to pray, Holy Spirit, for 2021, would you give me fresh eyes? Would you give us as a church family fresh eyes to see others need for you and know the goodness and the assurity of Jesus Christ? That's our hope. So let him find us, reflecting him, let us find him. Let let him find us when he comes as well, reaching people for him. Third, as we come to verses 16 and 17, 
I want to be found rightly handling His Word. I want to be found rightly handling His Word. So let's do this one together again. I'm going to say this at the very beginning, except I'm going to have you repeat it before I expound on it. It's dangerous. So here's, I'll go first. If you're willing, you go second. If this is something you personally want to resolve to, when the Lord will, you will be found by the Lord in His return. I want to be found rightly handling His Word. Look at verse 16. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, who Peter recognizes as an apostle, that's a special commissioned, sent one who saw the resurrected Christ. These men that only existed for a short season in the history of the church, Peter recognizes that Paul's writings are scripture, they're authoritative. It's interesting because he recognizes that the audience would have been familiar with several of Paul's writings, which is a great thing to keep in mind when we talk about the unique authority of scripture. It's not authoritative because somebody recognized it. It's authoritative because God breathed through these apostles that give the Scripture. So they hear this word, and what does He warn them? Did you see this? What does He warn them? What does He tell them? He says some are going to take the harder parts to understand, and, and they could be harder for two reasons. Number one, it could be harder just because it's kind of maybe it's, it's hard to, I'm having trouble getting what He's saying. But it could also be harder because it's going to cost you to believe it and hold fast to it. We've already seen in 1 Peter, the first letter that Peter wrote, that the church is suffering because she's holding to the convictions of Christ. The unbelievers are coming against them. Much of their suffering and their trials is because they're believers. Certainly there's health components and other things, but, but it's also because they're holding fast to Christ. They're relationally suffering. Soon they'll be physically suffering, we know historically, by the end of the first century in Turkey. But now, in 2 Peter, the churches are suffering because there's false teachers that are coming in, and they're coming close enough, they're learning the language, they're charismatic of personalities enough that they're gaining a following, but when they have the following, they're taking the harder teachings, whichever one of those it is, they're taking the harder teachings to believe, and he says they're twisting them. They're twisting them so that they can stand in the gap of them and lead people astray to follow them in their own sensualities. Look what he says in verse 17. Well, he speaks of them how they twist the Scriptures. Ignorantly, they twist the Scriptures. But verse 17, why do they twist the Scriptures? This didn't stop in the first century. It's happening today in abundance. And technology has made it way greater than we've ever seen in human history. Technology is great, but it can also be a tool for wicked twisting. Look what he says in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you don't be like them. You don't twist the Scripture. You rightly handle the Word of God. He says, take care that you're not carried away. So what does their twisting desire them to do? To be carried away. Now this, this is one of the benefits of working through books of the Bible verse by verse. Because when we see carried away, if, we, if I was just preaching this text right here, this is our first time, we might hear that and you might say, okay, carried away to follow after sin. And that's true. But in the context, what's happening in the congregations? Remember? There's literally people in the church that are getting up and they're being carried away to follow false teachers. Which means the next Lord's Day, there's less people there. Because a number of them have been carried away by that teaching. Physically, they're no longer a part of the church. Do you see what's happening here? So I think he does this very intentionally. They're carried away in two ways. Yes, they're carried away following after sin. 
because the twisting of Scripture has allowed the, the person that once professed faith in Christ to, to be like, well, I won't want to do that, but they make an argument. Okay. And they follow the false teacher right out the doors. Does this make sense? This hasn't stopped. I want to give you one example. I want to give you this example because I want to show you how this applies in our culture today, at least one example. I won't qualify the very beginning. It's going to sound political, but this is not political. This is personal. It's personal because this is very much an intentional act of twisting that will cost us, will cost you. It will cost the kids that the Lord has entrusted to our kids' ministry and our students, our refuge students, college students going out into the workplace. This could cost you. I'll give you one example of how twisting becomes increasingly appealing right now today in 2021. And one example of a, of a man that's come into the church and has twisted is a man named Matthew Vines. This younger people may know about him. Is he's got many multi-million viral videos. And he's a man that, that, that teaches that God celebrates homosexual marriage. And he wrote a book that was uh, incredibly popular, incredibly well-received, called The Biblical Case, uh, The Gay Christian, The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Marriages, in which, spoiler alert, there is not a biblical case of same-sex marriages. But the book is a master class on twisting Scripture overplaying historical components and ramming them into an ignorant audience. And men like Vines, who've profited in a great way from the twisting of Scripture that he's committed, and many others have, he's not the first. These are men that are claiming and are championing movements like what we see in our culture today, bills like the Equality Act. The Equality Act, any, any government bill that has a great rhetorical word, we should probably have some sirens going off, right? Because who's against the Equality Act? So Matthew Vines is one of these that have used, that have championed, representing and claiming to be a Christian, claiming to represent the church. He's used the Equality Act, and what the Equality Act in a nutshell is doing is it's, it's written in a way, it's already passed the House of Representatives, it may or may not pass the Senate, who knows? President Biden admitted that he would go ahead and approve it if it came through. But in short, it will allow uh, sexual desires and freedoms to supersede religious freedoms, the context of our culture, our country. And so it's redefining components of the Civil Rights Act to read in a person's subjectivity of, of gender and sexuality for legal prosecutions. And it will cost many of you. It costs us as a church possibly one day but the reality is, for counselors and so many different components and professionals, it can bring about a world of cost, literal cost, your jobs, or open you up to lawsuits. Now, this isn't some doom and gloom, oh no, what are we going to do? Christ is not sweating. The Lord will build His church no matter what, amen? We'll be busy making disciples no matter what, amen? But to realize the cost, the temperature that's going up upon a Christian to hold to clear biblical teachings. And I want to be clear. We believe all people are made in the image of God and worthy, are dig worthy of dignity and respect and love and care. But as believers, it is not to love someone, to redefine reality, or to champion something in which God clearly says, Jesus clearly said, the wrath of God abides on them that don't know Him. And it is not love 
It is actually hate speech to tell people the things that God says will bring judgment is actually good for them. That's hate speech. It is love to compel them to say, no, come to Christ. His way is better than your impulses. His way is better than your flesh. His way is life. Take up your cross and come to Him. For Jesus is the way of life, the eternal Son of God. He was not ignorant. His way is better. Forgiveness and redemption and hope in Christ. So live a repentant life in Him. Trust in Him. And then join our faith community and walk after Him together with us to be and make disciples in your unique mission field. This is going to become greater cost. In Canada, Canada, North America, is about five or ten years ahead of us with legislation that is making it more costly to follow Christ. Let me remind you why I'm talking about this. I'm talking about this because Peter is talking to a group of Christians, churches, that holding to clear biblical teachings is starting to cost them. Family members against family members. Neighbor against neighbor. Businesses, it's costing them. And he tells them, hold fast to the word. Stand firm in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And in our culture, the temperature is starting to resemble that. You don't have to be a prophet to see that. And in Canada, that's a few years ahead of us, they've got legislation called Canadian Bill C-6 that as a church, every year or at least every other year, we offer a seminar for all ages, but particularly students, on marriage, gender, and sexuality that teaches a biblical teaching of God's word and way for us. In Canada, for churches that would teach something like that to minors, it opens them up, if it passes, to upwards of five years imprisonment and at the least governmental fines. Counselors could be jailed for such things. So we need to realize, are we training up our kids? Parents, are we talking to our kids in such a way that they know the truth so well and their affections are growing in the Lord so well that they're willing to hold fast and trust His way is better than the way of the world when the way of the world begins to cost us for holding to the Scripture and the way of life? This is how Peter ends this letter. People will twist, but you hold fast. He says you treasure the Word of God. And in chapter 2, do you know how he used that word? He used it about Noah. That in Noah and the seven others, he protected them. He guarded them. He treasured them and protected them. And they pre he preserved them in the world that was falling away. And now he tells the bride, the body of Christ, you hold fast and treasure the Word of God. You guard it because He's guarding you. No matter what you see on the headlines or anything else, you treasure and trust the Word of God and compel people, call people to come into the way of life no matter what happens. It's the good news way of life. One more component of how we see this building up the pressure in the context in, in Canada is the medical professionals have been, were told about 10 years ago, was they passed legislation that allowed them to have medically doctor-assisted suicides and doctors committing abortions, that doctors in Canada, you don't have to see those patients. The patient that comes to you and says that they, that they want their life to be helped with their life ending. You don't have to do the abortion, doctor. You don't have to see that patient. Two years ago in 2019, they passed legislation that changed it, that said, doctor, you must provide effective referral 
but then like 48 hours for a patient of yours to go and receive a medically assisted suicide path or an abortion. Imagine how that burdens the believer who's a doctor. We're blessed to have doctors and nurses entrusted to the care of our church, and we love you, and we're grateful for you. I can't imagine the burden of having to see somebody and then possibly being fined or other consequences if, if somebody came to you for you to provide an abortion. You said, no, I can't, but you had to give an effective referral so that they could get one. What a cost. And today, led by a bioethicist at Queen's University, there is a movement to ban students applying to medical school who will not sign to agree to perform abortions and medically assisted suicides. Now That hasn't passed yet. But do you see how quickly, Christian, you can hold your conviction, but get to the margins. Again, this isn't something to say, hey, well, we need to change, we need to, we need to protest, or we need to do these things. But this is saying, are you growing in your affections for Christ and His Word? Are you intentionally loving others and showing hospitality and, and showing them the way of Christ and bringing them into your life, beloved, because you're so joyful in Christ, you want others to know Christ as well. And even if they don't, you want to show them the love of Christ for the glory of God in your lifestyle and in your words. Hold fast. When Christ returns, I want to be found rightly handling His Word. Amen? Can you say it with me again? I'll say it first. I want to be found rightly handling His Word. Beloved, the darker the world gets in God's kindness and glory, the brighter and more radiant His bride is in a lost and dying world. Never underestimate how the Lord works, even through things that seem very distressing. Fourth, fourth in verse 18, the final verse, I want to be found resting and growing up in Him. I want to be found resting and growing up in Jesus. He tells us in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a, what a joy. If somebody asks you what your five-year plan is in life, just quote this verse. I don't know exactly where I'll be, but I know this. I want to be growing in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You realize, beloved, you and I will not be evangelizing in heaven, but we'll be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ for eternity. Serving Him and worshiping Him and growing in our knowledge of the infinite God for eternity. How cool is that? This is amazing. This is a part that sounded way too intense with my voice that was strained, but it's true. This is so good. We want to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that means we can rest in Him. We can rest in what He's done in our life. Listen, I want to know the me in, in, in June of this year with the next quarter, the next three months. I want to see the husband that I am, the, the father that I am, the pastor that I am, the neighbor that I am, the friend that I am, if I've been intentional to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ for His glory. I want to know that, Brent, better than I want to know this one. And we see the same thing for every one of our lives. And we've seen this modeled in excitement for people to come to Christ with so many of our older saints. 
You think of Alma Ruth, you think of Helen, you think of Dottie, you think of Gail White, you think of so many others that older in years, they still excited to learn the things of God. They never stop growing. Now, I don't know about your plants, but I've got some plants at my house that are finally starting to bud. You all got some of those? Isn't that an exciting thing to see a plant that's been through a lot, that it's coming, it's still growing? What about us as believers? Right? Some of us have been through a lot. Some of you have been through a lot, lot. Don't be content to say you're done growing. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and see what beauty comes from the past breezes of life. That's the goodness of our God, isn't it? He works in this way in a greater testimony. So every husband, what if every man in our room today committed to say, Lord, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge and rest in Jesus for the next three months. I want to see who I am. I want to see what kind of husband I am, what kind of father I am, what kind of worker I am, what kind of boss I am in 2021. Work in my life. Help me to grow with a great hunger in my affections for Jesus. What if every woman in our church committed to say, well, Lord, I want to grow in, in my grace and knowledge of you. I want to rest in Jesus Christ and my identity, central first and foremost. I want to meet the me of June 2021 as a mom, as a, as, as a worker, as, as a spouse, as a, as a single person, as a student. I want to meet that person. As students, from, from children to teens in college, you, have, you are so busy, I know, but you have such a unique mission field. What does the June you look like when summer break comes if you've been growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Daily saying, Lord, build my affections and my contentment in Jesus. How exciting is that? What will happen not only in our church body, what will happen in East Texas? What will happen with our missionary partners that we support? We will be found by Him. Amen? That's the news of hope that Peter leaves the church in this last letter. What a joy. His final words of Second Peter. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen? Next steps. In our next steps, the Lord's patience in His coming is an opportunity for you to repent and be saved and enjoy new life in Christ today. Publicly profess with your lips, Jesus is Lord of your life today. Trust Him. At the end of the service, we'll have ministry leaders here just come forward and say, I want to trust Christ, or I want to know more about what it means to give my life to Christ. We want to disciple you and walk with you in that journey. You can put it on a connect card and put it in one of the boxes, or give it to Cynthia at the welcome table on your way out today. Second, consider grace. So as, as believers who rest in Christ, uh, this diligent component that we grow in Christ, that doesn't mean we grow in Christ loving us more. It's not like when you came today, the Lord loved you 71%. And if you really are diligent to walk out your faith and share the gospel, next week the Lord will love you 74%. No, no, you've been adopted and are holy in Christ. Holy and holy in Christ. And so as you rest in that truth this week, how does that minister to your identity? How does that actually allow you to rest in the grace you have in God? The kindness, the unearned favor. And finally, harvest season will come to an end one day. Would you, would you pray that the Lord would give us individually and corporately as a church family a greater, har a greater desire to see a harvest? 
The, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You pray that in our hearts, every one of us, the Lord would just build a desire to see people come to know Christ. We've said this before, and it's not original to me, that, that people are worth a walk across the room. Because the Holy Spirit, He indwells me, and my, my identity is in Christ, my worth is in Christ. So I know if I walk across the room and meet my friend down here, that he has a chance to interact with Christ. Right? In a way, right? This is the hope that's in me. I desire to be a part of him. So, so that's a good thing. That's worth a walk across the room, even if I'm tired. And I want you to put on, you can already see it in your bulletin, but there's two dates that I want you to mark on your calendar if you would. March 21st and March 28th, 3.30 to 5 o'clock. COVID has been crazy. A lot of people have been inside, obviously. But we're going to have an outdoor service for Easter, Easter Sunday at 10 o'clock out here. If it rains, we have some backup plans for being inside. But what we want to do is we want to be able to go to take a walk across the street, to walk through our neighborhood. These two Sundays at 3.30, we're going to meet in Henderson Hall. We're going to pray together. We're going to have a quick little training on how to go, not only give an invite, but to be able to pray the gospel, pray the good news. This is for your whole family. This isn't just for adults. Bring your kids with you. We'll gather, we'll pray, and we'll spread out those two times, giving invites. That Sunday, you'll also have an invite to a service. Just as a tangible way, as an excuse to take a walk across the room, a walk across the street, to celebrate and share the hope we have in Christ. Isn't that good news? Where is your hope, beloved? Our hope is in Christ alone. Amen? Would you stand with me as we sing in response to the preached word of God?